Well, praise the Lord. How many of y'all had never heard that song, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand? Anybody here never heard that song this morning? How many of you have heard it and sang it before? Been a long time, hadn't it? Hold to God's unchanging hands during difficult times. Enduring times. The emerging end times. That it is more important today than it has ever been. To realize that the hand that we need to be holding to right now is his, not ours. And so as we consider where we will be this morning, in light of the emerging end times, how should a believer live? What is it that we should be doing today in anticipation of the return of the Lord? Now I will say this, there are many different views concerning the end times, but there is one fact that everyone agrees on. And I will tell you that one fact, and it's this. Jesus Christ is coming again. And he will execute judgment on the wicked and reign supreme for all of eternity. That's a given. He is coming back. And when he returns, the question is, will you be ready? And that's the question that you have to answer within yourself. Because when he returns, it is too late at that time to be able to figure out or to determine whether or not you're ready for him or not. So let me just kind of recap some of the things that, that we see taking place today when it comes to where we are in the world cultural-wise international-wise around the world. Here's just a list for you to consider. See, here's some of the things that we're seeing today. A massive falling away from the truth. We see that on every turn. A growing embrace of doctrinal error. And matter of fact, to the days of, well, it's up to me what I believe or what I don't believe, regardless of what the scripture may say, this is the way I feel that it ought to be. The other thing that we're seeing is a profound moral decline, unparalleled to anything that we have ever seen or witnessed before. The other thing that we're seeing today is an increased outbreak of varying sexual sins and perversions with no repentance in sight. None. And matter of fact, it seems like the worse it gets, the more elevated it becomes and the individuals participating become as well. An increase of global persecution of God's people. As I've said before, while we're meeting in this building this morning with all the latest and greatest technology that we have here, sitting in an air-conditioned building with plenty of Bibles at our Hands, there are people today that will give their life for Jesus Christ. And it's increasing. The escalating conflict in the Middle East. Okay, you don't, you don't have to look far to understand and realize that that is taking place. And the steady rise and in influence of globalism. That is one of the things that we're also seeing today. World Health Organization, the World Banking System, all of those, is all of the world is in just a flux right now as to what is going to take place. 
and then the emergence of a cashless world in preparation for the arrival of the Antichrist. Today, people don't use cash. Very few use a check. Matter of fact, there are a lot of places who won't take your cash. And matter of fact, as we watch all of this unfold, we're seeing a significant move to a more digital society today. Digital in all of its aspects from banking to every aspect of life is becoming digitally controlled. And so digitally controlled makes it a lot easier for a world environment to be established and, and controlled. So you hear all of that, you see all that, and you look at all of it, and it can be just a little bit sobering to recognize that all of these things are taking place in our present world today, happening today as we sit here. So how should we live today? What is it that we should be involved in? Well, turn with me to James chapter number 4. I'm going to share some points with you today. Four of them, matter of fact. And here's the first one. We need to avoid making unhealthy choices. James chapter number 4. As we see the day approaching... And as we see all of this taking place today in the world that we live in, one of the things that we should attempt to do is to avoid making unhealthy choices. Notice what James says about this, about the one who goes, is going to go into another city and going to buy and get gain, and he's going to do business and all of those things. But beginning in verse 13 of James chapter 4, notice what it says. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. We don't. None of us do. None of us have any idea what life will be like tomorrow. We don't know what life will be like in the next few hours, we don't know what life is going to be like at the end of the day. So how should we live in light of that? Well, notice the next part of verse 14. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's gone. That fast. And consider our lives. You know, people live all different, to, to different ages but when you compare that with all of eternity, even if you live to be 90 years of age, that is nothing but a mere speck when it comes to all of eternity. And the question today is, where will you spend that eternity? That's the question that you have to answer. And it's not like that we haven't been given the information and the teaching and all of those things that are necessary for us to evaluate our own lives to see where we stand with a holy God. But what do you do with it? What do you do with all of it that we have? Well, he goes on in verse 15. He said, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So one of the things that we ought to seek every day is not to make choices that are unhealthy. Matter of fact, we ought to look at life every day to live it this way. God, if it's your will that I should see tomorrow, this is what I will attempt to do in serving you each and every day. May my life be a reflection of your will in my own life and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, not our own. Now, there are certain things we have to do planning-wise. There are choices that we're going to make. But every day what we ought to seek is, God, what is it that you desire of me? God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? All the way from job decisions, all the way to living places that we choose to live. All of those. We need to make sure that we bring it to the Lord to get his direction. Think about this. As one writer put it, he said, live your life as if the rapture could happen today, but plan your life as if you will be here for your entire lifetime expectancy. Because he could come. He could come today. He could come next week. He could come next month. You know, a lot of people spend time worrying. Do I have any worriers in here? Are there any ones who worry at all? My dear friend, listen to me. Here's what Jesus said, worrying is not going to add one cubit to your stature. Because oftentimes what we worry about never happens anyway. And oftentimes when we worry, we get so caught up in the worry, if Jesus Christ returns, it ain't going to matter at that point in time. So there's no need to worry when we can trust in the Lord. Number two. Don't be troubled in your heart. Let's go to John chapter 14. I know this is a very, a very well-known passage of Scripture, but I think sometimes it loses its, it, it loses its, its kind of its significance or power when we think about it. And if we're not careful... Passages of scriptures can become that way. But Jesus is preparing his disciples for something that is getting ready to take place. And I can tell you right now, they, they were not prepared at this point for what was coming. Jesus knew and he understood that. And he knew the concern that was inside of them. They're trying to figure all of this out. And I will tell you today, there are many trying to figure it out. Matter of fact, you have everything today from date setters and it's amazing to me, all of the date setters, every date that's been set, we've come and gone past. Matter of fact, let me tell you what it says. Here's what the scripture says. No one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man is going to return except for the Father himself. So why in the world are we out there trying to set dates for anyway? Nobody knows but the Father. But when we look around us and we look at everything that's taking place in the world today, let me say something to you today. There is no reason for your heart to be troubled if you're a child of God. None. Absolutely none. 
In chapter 14, that's why Jesus begins speaking to his disciples. And I want you to notice what he starts off with. Do not let your heart be troubled. Because here's what we need to hold on to. Don't miss out on the details. Why is it that the heart should not be troubled? Well, he follows it up with this. Believe in God. Believe also what? In me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice the next one. Please do not miss this. I will come again and do what? And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Please listen to me, believer. Jesus Christ is going to return. When he returns, we're going to go to be with him, with where he is. That's where we will be also. So there's no reason for us to fear. There's no reason for us to be afraid of that day when it comes. Because as a born-again uh, born believer, I know where I am going. There's no doubt. Now, I know Brother Charles and I were talking about this the other day. I know that day's coming. I'm getting older. And bones hurt sometimes. Legs have arguments in the morning about who got out of bed the day before first. <laughs> and sometimes you wake up with pains and you wonder where in the world that come from. I didn't have it yesterday, but I got it today. And it's in a totally different place. But please listen to me. Brother Charles and I were talking about this. Brother Charles and I are on the same page. We're not looking to get on the bus tomorrow or today. We just don't want it to hurt when it happens. Please, here's what I want you to hold on to. If you're here this morning and you're a born-again child of God, you have nothing to be afraid of. Because the same God who saved you is able to keep you and take you to be with him. We have that from the scripture. And then you come to verse number four. And it says, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And here, here it comes. This is the summary to it all. Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's something that you need to understand. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the only way. I don't care what all of this other out here has to say about it. I don't care what all the other religions in the world have to say about it. I could care less what progressive theology has to say about it. I'm telling you, the plain, narrow truth of the Word of God is there is no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. So you best know who He is and have a relationship with Him. Believers have no reason to fear. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is an interesting statement as Paul is writing to Timothy because he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy has a hard road ahead of him. And as the church begins to grow and they're trying to figure everything out and all the difficulties that exist with inside of the early church, 
As Paul is encouraging the heart of Timothy, here's what he writes to him. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. In other words, he has not given us a spirit of fear. There is no reason for us to have a spirit of fear. Why? But of power and love and discipline. You see that of power because of the Holy Spirit of God. Of love, the love that comes through God the Father. And then discipline. In other words, to stay focused. To stay prepared where we need to be. That's where it is. It's where we are. So number one. Avoid making unhealthy choices. Number two, don't be troubled in your hearts. We need to understand and realize because when you get down to verse number 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want you to notice what it says. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Why am I not ashamed? For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until what? Until that day that I go to be with him. So what are you trusting in today? What the world has to offer? Are you trusting in what the world has to give? Are you trusting in the promise of God himself? I will tell you, as far as I'm concerned, my trust is in the one who loves me so. And it's in God. Well, what else should we do? Number three. Let's go to Matthew chapter number five. We need to be the salt and the light today. We need to be the salt and the light today that we should be. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 13. As Jesus lays it out for us, what we should be doing. We should be busy about the Father's business. And that is every believer. I don't care who you are. God has given you talent. God has blessed you with a gift or gifts. To do what? To sit and soak? No. To use? Yes. To be involved in the church? Yes. To be utilized with inside of the church, the bride of Christ? Yes. Because I will tell you why. Because every single one is important to the bride and to the functioning of the bride. And I'm going to tell you something. The bride is crippled when everyone is not functioning. Matthew chapter 5. Notice what Jesus says, verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. So you are. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Do what? Here's what James said. If you have a faith and there are no works, James says, it's a dead faith. James said, I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, should be a living faith. It should be a part of us and who we are. We should live out our life as a believer. Serving, functioning with inside of the body of Christ. So we need to make sure that our choices are as healthy as they can be. There's no reason for us to be troubled in our hearts. And we should be the salt and the light in the world that we live in today. And not just here in this building, but in our communities outside of this place. For the world to see. Let me tell you what the world needs to see today. That there is something different. There's something that you've got I don't have. And I don't know what it is, but I want to know what it is. I want it to be a part of my life and who I am. That's the salt. That's the light that we need to be the light in a very dark world that we live in today. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 15. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Speaking about avoid making unhealthy choices. But look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for what? Good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you, Titus. Don't let anyone disregard you. I don't know about you, but are you looking forward to that day of that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I hope you are. And it's a good thing that we are. And it's a good thing we look for that day. Matter of fact, Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father in Acts chapter number 1, those who were standing there as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, they asked him and said, why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus that you see taken up is going to come in like manner again. We need to be busy waiting for that day to come. 
We should be looking forward to it, but we should not be still standing there gazing up into heaven. We need to be busy anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing, anticipating his return. And then finally, number four, we need to maintain an eternal perspective. We need to maintain an eternal perspective. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 and verse 21. We need to have a, an eternal perspective. And I can tell you today that my address where I live at today is not my permanent address it is a temporary address it is a it's a permanent address for a temporary location but it is not my permanent address I want you to notice is Paul writing to the church at Philippi look what he says in verse 20 of Philippians chapter number three for our citizenship is where It is in heaven. Church, if I could encourage you today, quit looking around at the world that we live in today as this is where your citizenship is today. It may be temporarily, but your eternal citizenship is in heaven. It is not here. It is not here. And I'm going to tell you something. It's time we live in light of that. It's time we live as if that is the case. And so when we live with that eternal perspective, then here's what happens. Our choices that we make in life today become more healthy choices. And we also understand the significance of being the salt and the light in the world that we live in today. And here's the other thing. Our hearts will not be troubled as we anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will say this. Our hearts ought to be saddened and burdened. For those who do not know Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. And then verse 21. Let's read the last part of verse 20. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even, that he has even to subject all things to him self. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And you ready for this? We'll be like him because we will see him and know him as he is. You've all ever wondered what your glorified body may look like? Anybody? Or is it just me? Just me? (laughs) Somebody said, apparently, just me. Okay. Have you ever thought about that day when it comes? I have. And I will tell you this. I long for that day. But be careful. So did Paul. Paul said, I have a desire to be with him. But I also understand the urgency of the day that I live in. 
And right now, it is more expedient for me to be here than to be there. And so for us today, do you have a longing to be with him? Do you have a longing to go to be with Christ? Hebrews chapter 12. If you'll turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 through verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3. And notice, as the writer of Hebrews shares with us, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, In other words, it gets us bogged down, that gets us distracted, that gets us looking the wrong direction, that pulls us away from what we ought to be doing. To doing what? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Running, pressed down, moving forward, all for what? All for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to verse number two, fixing our eyes on who? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where they ought to be fixed. We need to get our eyes off of everybody else around us and get our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. That's where they need to be. Because I will tell you, when you get your eyes on everybody else around you, they're going to let you down. But I'll tell you one who will never let you down, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He won't. Who are you holding on to? Who are you looking at today? Yourself? You looking at everything temporary around you? My dear friend, listen to me. This ain't all there is to it. Pardon the English. It's not. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy for enduring a cross. They railed on him. They falsely accused him. They beat him with absolutely no cause. But he hung there on that cross. And by the way, they didn't affix him to the cross. He laid his life down willingly on that cross. Why? Because of his love for you. Hung there, suspended between heaven and earth for all of the world to see. And then if that's not enough, the scripture says, and he became sin for us who knew no sin. That sin weight was placed on him as he hung there, suspended on that cross. And let me tell you why. He did it because he loved you. And he wanted something for you. And my dear friend today, I'm just going to share this with you. I don't understand. After the magnitude of his love for us and all of the things that he did for us on the cross of Calvary, why in the world today we get our eyes focused and affixed everywhere else but where it should be? On Jesus Christ. Are you thankful today for what he did for you? Be careful. Because if you are, then we ought to show it. 
Next part of verse 2. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where's he at? (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but if that doesn't get you excited, your wood's wet. That's all I can tell you. You see, the very one who loved me so and gave his life on my behalf, raised it up again after three days, is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on my behalf. And he promised me that he's coming back again, and he's going to take me with him to be where he will be for all of eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. At all. Verse 3. For consider him. And that's all I ask you to do today is just consider him. Just consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And then I want you to underline the next part so that you won't grow weary. Church, please listen to me. You don't have to grow weary and you don't have to lose heart. I'll tell you why. Because God is still on the throne. And Jesus Christ is still seated at his right hand. And the church is not going to die. At the end of the day, that's the way it is. I want you to understand something. That's not my opinion. That's what the word of God says. So who are we going to trust? So four things real quickly. Avoid making unhealthy choices. Don't be troubled in your hearts. Be the salt and light today. Maintain an eternal perspective. But there's something else that I want to share with you before I close this morning. Because I'm not done yet. So don't close your Bibles. I know oftentimes I'll make a statement like, as I close, guess what often happens? He's done. Hallelujah. Well, I hate to tell you today, that is not the case. I'm not done. So here's one of the things that we need to do. And this is one of the things that needs to be a part of our life. Those four things I gave you, but more than any of that, you need to make sure that you have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. So what is it? What is the gospel? Well, let me share it with you this morning. First of all, God created you in his image and desires a personal relationship with you. That's where, that's where it starts. God created everyone on the face of this earth. I don't care who they are. I don't care what nationality they're a part of. And I hate to say this to you this morning, but please understand me. We're all one race. There are different ethnicities, but we're all one race. That's what Paul said on Mars Hill. We're one race. Created in what? The image of God. So we all have our beginning from Adam and Eve. You see, this race thing is a social construct. It is not a biblical construct. So everybody in the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care who they are. 
and what it means to have a personal relationship with him. Number two, but even though we're created in his image, God desires to have a personal relationship with us. Humanity has a sin problem caused by Adam and Eve's choice to sin in the garden. It broke that. It broke that what occurred in the creation between God and man and the placing of Adam and Eve in a perfect place to walk in the cool of the day and enjoy the fellowship with each other. It was broken because of sin. And so therefore for us, that still remains. For as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and therefore death came upon all men. Why? Because all have sinned. Number three, here comes the good part. This is the glorious part. This is the most wonderful part of it all. But Jesus died for our sins and he made salvation possible. And he made it possible for us through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way you're going to get there. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Personally, here's what you have to do as an individual. You personally, you have to choose You have to make the choice to place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's necessary. Well, I believe in him. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ. That's fine. That's good. Matter of fact, Paul said, that's a good thing. But it's not enough. It's not enough just to believe. Even Satan and his angels and demons believe. That's a good thing. But it's more than that. It's more than just believing. It's placing your absolute trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And so what do we go through to gain that relationship with Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 gives it to you. Here it is. And let me say this. Salvation, apart from repentance, isn't, isn't, isn't going to occur. Repentance is necessary. Look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, a man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth, he confesses, resulting in, uh, in, in salvation. We, repentance is necessary. Repentance of what, Brother Robert? Repentance of our sin recognizing and realizing that we're a sinner standing before a holy God today, an absolute Need of what he has for us. It's called the gift of grace. You ready for this? It doesn't cost you anything. God's already paid all of it. So finally this morning, the result, free at last. Forgiveness of sin. My only statement to you today would be this. Don't put it off. He is coming back. He is going to return. The question is, are you ready for his return?